Well, good morning to you. Is it my fault, Paul? It's your fault, good. Glad it's always somebody else's fault. Now, I'm gonna start off with something that's a, a little bit odd, and you're gonna wonder why, but it'll make sense as we go through the message. Um, and, and I think you'll all agree with my first statement. We are living in a time when a lot of people walk around offended. And I would say we Christians, we've kind of spiritualized our offenses, but a lot of us are walking around offended. And it's interesting because as I was with the uh, prayer team before the service, uh, we were praying through things and it was brought up as we were hearing God that if we have any offenses as a team, we need to release them. We need to let them go. And at one point, I asked one of the prayer team, I said, what is the number one thing you had to release to become a follower of Jesus? What is the number one thing you had to release to become a father, follower of Jesus? It's not a trick question, by the way. I, I think it's pretty obvious, and in fact, uh, a lot of followers of Christ, as they go into theology, will talk about that we can make salvation kind of a magic prayer instead of what it should be. And I would argue that in order to be a follower of Christ, the first thing you need to release, the first thing you need to release is control. And we walk around as a people so offended. I was uh, this week, somebody who I would call as a pro-mask person, told me how offended they were walking around town and there was so many people without masks that were just glaring at them. There's a fence. And I was getting my hair cut this week and I'd never been to the shop before and uh, the lady didn't want to wear a mask and she was really clear about it. You know, the whole conspiracy and all this stuff. And uh, it was interesting because the more she told me about her position, she began to talk about an offense she had taken earlier in the day. She'd gone to the liquor store and somebody with a mask on started glaring at her because she wasn't wearing a mask and she took offense at that. Oh, by the way, she was cutting my hair faster and faster as she's getting animated and I was going, oh, I hope it looks straight, just saying, no, she did a good job, I think. But it was one of the fast haircuts I've ever had. But we live in this offense society and Christian, can I just beg you? And I'm looking at myself too, can you release that stuff? I'm gonna finish today's sermons with Philippians 2 and you'll kinda get it all. Jesus released his offense. He didn't hang on to his rights. And he went to that cross willingly for you and me. We've got to let it go. Heavenly Father, as we start this message, we just want to release any offense that we've been carrying around. And we know that offense manifests in anger and often in action. And God, it isn't that you sometimes don't call us as a church to action, but I would beg to argue that most of the time, God, 
our action is to bring people to the cross, to bring them to the foot of the cross, to help them release, to let go and receive what you have, the beautiful gift of salvation. And so God, if we as followers of Christ are carrying around any offense, we release it. We let it go. Because it taints our soul, it taints our ears. Our eyes see that which isn't there. We get so much more offended because of our offense that we carry. So we release that, God. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now you're probably wondering, why in the world would I start out with that whole bit of thing? And it's partially because of the topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, we have three Sundays between now and Advent starting, so the teach team and I sat down, and it wasn't my suggestion, and, uh, but it was a great idea. We thought, why don't we do three messages on human sexuality? Now you might be going, oh good, we're going to hear that anti-sermon, anti-this, anti Actually, my goal today is to talk about God's design, not to talk about the various different versions or the various deviations like rape and murder and, and uh, incest and pornography and divorce and, and all kind of those, those anti-design kind of ideas that we get offense and we take action and, and we say, I have my rights and we do all that kind of stuff. And, and again, don't get me wrong, if you're in a horrible, abusive, physically dangerous environment, you need to get out. So I'm not talking to that, but I'm talking about where we hold on to stuff. We, we take control and, and our control manifests itself in fear and we just got to stop. We just got to release. So with that subject today, I want to kind of walk us through the book of Genesis and, and finish us up somewhere in the New Testament. We're going to talk about Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And in that process, I hope we can lay the groundwork for uh, this coming Sunday's message is going to be on, on husband and wife and some of the dynamics in that. And I'm so excited because one of our other pastors gets to preach. I like Sundays off sometimes too. And uh, he's, he's come up with, Pastor Elmer Spilton has started to tell me all the things he's been looking at and uh, what he's going to do in the message. And I'm really excited. You got to come for that. Then the third Sunday, we're going to talk about being single and the gift and the calling of some people to be single. By the way, that's why we end up with Paul and with Jesus. They had a calling to be single. So anyway, we as a church, <coughs> I, I've sat there and wondered for a long time, why is it I get so stuffed up and groggy and frogs in my throat when I preach, and I think it's because I'm moving my mouth and my sinuses start to drain. I am not COVID sick, just telling you. Don't get offended. Okay, I got one laugh. I heard one laugh. So we as a church are committed to helping you body, soul, and spirit. And, and number one, when we talk about the body, we're not medical doctors, so we are limited on what we can do to help you in your body. But we as a church do have exercise classes at GPAC. Uh, we have a ministry to help people be fed. Uh, we partner with Bear Lake Bible Camp for some of these reasons, body, soul, and spirit, to help people. 
And as we look at kind of that, that soul or the emotional part of us, uh, we again, we're not professional counselors per se, but, but we want to minister to your soul, to your emotions. And, and we have a lot of partners in ministry like Bear Lake and burden bearers and things like that in order to help some of that stuff. But we also have uh, a lot of courses. We have our current mentoring program where we're taking people through a program called The Way. And in The Way, it really is working on some of that emotional soul stuff that you've been carrying around. Maybe it's an offense, maybe it's some bitterness, whatever it might be. And, and the whole sense of hearing God comes in that. And again, dealing with some of your soul and emotional stuff and, and our spirit. With your spirit, I really believe that's kind of a lot of our biggest thing that we can help you with and would be kind of our expertise. And, and we believe so much in this that we support ministries with our budget, like Rising Above and again, Bear Lake Bible Camp. I'm getting you lots of traction today. Boy. And we work with ministries like that to help people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Because I am utterly, utterly convinced, and my closing illustration will really say it, that without Jesus, I just become just like I grew up in the world. I react, behave, I take offense, I get even, I have vengeance, and that's the last thing I want to do. And we believe that we can help people rise above addictions and cycles of defeat. One area we've leaned harder in in the last number of years, and, and this has always been a problem, but we've leaned really hard into helping marriages. There is a lot of attack on marriages these days, and I would say the biggest attack is this idea of taking offense and hanging on to it. And, and there's a lot of other attacks, like, like this sort of attitude that it's all about me, and I deserve, and I want, and I need to be fulfilled. And you know what? When I start putting that kind of pressure on my wife, She's doomed. You need to meet my needs. You need to help me. You need to scratch my back. You need to do my laundry. You need to, and on and on the list goes. So we've been leaning harder into the whole marriage thing, bringing in at least one marriage seminar a year. COVID kind of stopped this year. And the other area that we're trying to work really hard at helping marriages, and even more than that, your soul, is the whole idea of sexual purity. And a lot of us have built a theology around grace, and I would argue that grace never in, has been intended to give you excuses for bad behavior. But we believe in sexual purity in this church. We believe that there is a God design that God began with in the Garden of Eden, and then we're gonna talk about it a little bit, and then sin entered. And it's distorted and twisted and manipulated that natural good design that God gave us. And then we begin to move into areas that just destroy our soul, destroy our emotions, and actually so destroy us physically. I mean, we actually get sick physically from a lot of this stuff. So to start our three Sunday series, I wanted to lay out a biblical plan for human sexuality. And I really have no plan to venture into the straying behaviors other than what I've mentioned. Although keep in mind that rape and abuse and incest, divorce and other straying behaviors are kind of there is what I'm concerned about where we're moving towards. 
But my desire this morning is to show God's plan for mankind in regards to human sexuality. And I'm so glad that I have a great foundation in a denomination that I'm a part of. And uh, again, I am a big C, uh, I mean a, a small A alliance and a big C Christian. The alliance, I love them, but that isn't who I follow. I follow Jesus, but in this, I think this is so cool. Listen to this statement from the alliance. And this is in regards to human sexuality. And I don't know if they were able to get it up on the screen. The Alliance has written this statement, God-honoring, life-enhancing, sexuality finds its expression in the goodness of either celibate singleness or the lifelong covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Sexuality, the distinctiveness of our experiences as a male and female, rather than as an undifferentiated humans, is a feature of God's creation of humanity. Sexual intimacy is intended for marriage and sexual intimacy outside of this protective bond is therefore contrary to God's good design for humanity. Did you hear that? God has a design for humanity and I'm gonna stand on record as saying I am often shocked what our young people who grew up in the church think is okay. They come into my office, they wanna get married. And you can imagine the conversations that ensued. So let's look at the creative design. Number one, in God's creative design, there is a good design in creation. In the beginning, God created humans as relational. The inherent design of male and female reflects God's image. Sexuality, our maleness and femaleness, is a dimension of our embodied existence. Genesis chapter 1, very first chapter in the Bible. You, you kind of get through all the stuff that's being created and God is putting the sun and the moon and the earth together. Verse 26 we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, a, a lot of theologians and people for 2,000 years, well, 3,000 years have debated this. What is this image of God that we're created to be like? Well, part of it is we have been created to rule. And to rule is, doesn't mean dictatorship. Rule means benevolence. Rule means love. Rule means protecting and taking care of. And this is what God has created us to be. Verse 27 goes on to say, so that's kind of the likeness of God there. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. We know from Jesus' teaching and other teachings in Scripture that God is a spirit. So he's not talking about the physical body that we have. But he has created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, listen to this, male and female. Now that word that connects male and female is really solid, that word male and female. He created them. Although male and female gender is unique, they both reflect God. Especially when you think God is spirit and we have flesh and bones, of course, it's okay to be in his image, created like him to rule, to have free thought, to be able to take at that point, 
care of the Garden of Eden. But it is also very okay that man and woman are very different. So the uniqueness is spelled out in that scripture. But the sameness is also spelled out in that scripture. Male and female in his image. So there's a uniqueness. There's a in God's image, both male and female. Women, by the way, are not lesser beings than man. They are not in a different intellectual order or any other kind of order. They are equal before God as everybody else is. So don't get too caught up in this description of male and female. The big takeaway that we need to understand from Genesis right at the first chapter is that God created male and female versions of his image. God created male and female versions of his image. That's the key, I believe, of this text. So now, moving from that sameness to our differences as male and female, God built in a few reasons, I believe, for us to connect. It's our differences that actually force us to connect as male and female. And it is in this difference, in this longing for each other, that we develop intimacy. And our intimacy is fulfilled in proper man and wife relationships. And let me be really clear. Let me be, you're going to understand why I end in Philippians 2 in a little while. Intimacy in man and woman is not selfish. It is not about gratification. It is about God's design. And you get the heartbeat of God by looking at his son Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to grasp, but he humbled himself even to death on the cross. The Trinity of God is incredible intimacy and trust and understanding. And I guarantee you there's no offense ever taken in the Trinity. Even though the Father, Son, and Spirit are very different, they have different roles, they have an intimacy and a connectedness, and they don't get offended by each other. So then, the whole topic of sex, is anybody young here? No, I don't think so. The whole talk of topic of sex then, it is an expression of intimacy. Now, if you were the devil and you knew that God created us male and female and, and, and just that whole creation is made to, like you can't create life, you can't, like, like that's kind of the image of God. We can kind of create life like God and it happens to have, to need a male and a female to do that. And this whole expression of intimacy, while identity fulfillment and the path to human flourishing are founded on a relationship with the creator. God made sex as an expression of intimacy, love, and self-giving to be experienced between one man and one woman in a lifelong covenant. 
So if you were the devil, what would you do to destroy this beautiful creation of intimacy that's actually right within our male and female uniqueness, our oneness with God, the the intimacy, the fulfillment of of kind of a, a connecting with each other that you can't have any other way. If you were the devil, what would you do? You would come up with all sorts of alternative uses for that which God designed for intimacy within husband and wife. Genesis 2.24 puts it this way. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I mean, read between the lines. The scriptures are very kind in not getting too graphic. But read between the lines. They will be united. They will become one flesh. That's the way God designed it. Ephesians 5.31 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul repeats this passage. And so this isn't just something that when man fell, when the Garden of Eden was no longer, that we just no longer have, but it's actually been restored in the New Testament. Oh, I can remember as a young man, my first crush. Her name was Cheryl. She rode on the school bus with me from the airport in Fort St. John. Oh man, I can remember, I, and, and think about my age, so my hormones have just kicked in. This thing that God's created in me to want to have a relationship, and, and it wasn't nefarious, it wasn't sexual at all. I just thought, I mean, the way she moved her hair, the way I could smell her perfume on the bus, I, I mean, I was just like a hormone-driven teenager. I was just so in love. I used to lay awake at night thinking about, what could I say to her the next day? Honestly, to me, she looked like heaven. I mean, puppy love, it's so nice. And it's, honestly, I think back, it was so pure. I I think it was as close to what I would have possibly experienced in the Garden of Eden, that that sort of innocence of that 12, 14-year-old person. I mean, that's God's beautiful design. Uh, Then, I started wrecking that beauty. Whether, whether I saw some pornography or, or, or for many of us, we have multiple partners. Uh, did you know 60% of Christian men and 40% now of Christian women have derailed God's design by, by, by letting sex be something that isn't about intimacy, but it's something about gratification. It's something about my rights and fulfillment. This is something that I am going to do. I don't care what you think, and I'm going to do it with whom and wherever I want. My wife and I, we started watching BritBox. It wasn't BritBox, it was the other one, the other British one. And there was this Australian show about this couple that moved from Australia to New Zealand. And it was such a cute little show. It describes itself as this family-friendly show. The main character, I think he slept with three people so far. I mean, that's kind of getting to my limit where I may not watch it ever again. But it's just weird, like this, this little town in New Zealand, they have nude beaches, they, they have this uh, guy folk day, and they all sleep with each other. And I sit there and go like, man devil. And they try to make it so cute and so nice, it's just about some fun. So maybe if you're shrinking in your seat, or, or maybe you're sitting there feel condemned, I want to tell you that I have experienced and seen, maybe if you've gone through a divorce or you've been struggling with pornography or maybe you've been the 
recipient or you've had somebody rape you or sexually abuse you, I want to tell you that God is in the business of restoration. He's in the business of healing. And I'm not talking about a few marriage marriages. I'm talking about I've seen God heal hundreds of marriages where sexual purity and intimacy is restored and things just go incredibly the way that they should be and the way God designed. We lose our ability for intimacy and, and we kind of go on the pathway of the world and we become so selfish and self-serving. And in order to move beyond that, we need to regain our connection with God and the opposite gender in a proper fashion. And God's design becomes super clear when we, when we move out of this selfish, worldly, gratification society, we begin to move back into what God designed. When our marriages get restored to what they should be, when, when we start having an actual conversation and intimacy. I remember Mark Unger, we had him here I think three times. He talked about the television version of sex, and then he talked about God's plan. You know, television version is rough and violent, nasty. And I learned a long time ago that if I spend time, take my wife out to dinner, buy her flowers, have a good conversation, sexual intimacy becomes so much better. And we lose that. That, that sort of puppy love of grade seven, it just starts to disappear from us. But I believe God can restore you. He can renew you. Uh, Romans 12, uh, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what God's in the, he's in the business of resurrection. But let me be really clear. God honoring sexuality finds expression in the goodness of either celibate singleness or faithful heterosexual marriage. Hebrews 13, 4, if you don't know this passage, memorize it. I had to memorize it for ordination, I remember that. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God's design, friends, is heaven. And that design is in a loving relationship with a spouse or in singleness connecting with God and with humanity. My mom and dad honestly were the epitome of friendship and intimacy. In 1979, my mom's only living extended family was dying. It was her brother, my uncle. My dad was working at the time, so he asked me if I would drive my mom from Fort St. John down to Port Coquitlam near Vancouver. And I want to tell you, as an eight-year-old, it was one of the toughest experiences I went through watching my mom grieve for her brother. I, I, I saw my uncle gasping for breath as he had the final days of lung cancer. My mom was so overwhelmed. She, was just, she just had lines on her face and anxiety, and she just wanted to leave. I hugged my mom lots, and, and I let her cry, and I let her talk, but one evening... And this is back before we had these unlimited cell phone plans and long distance. She decided she had to phone dad. I sat there listening in. And I was a little embarrassed, actually. My mom was giggling like a little girl. She was crying on the phone. She, she was reaching out to dad. And, and all of a sudden, I could almost imagine as a kid those things that you hear at night as your mom and dad are doing things. And I was going, that's why they have such a good marriage. There's an intimacy, a care, a connection. 
Oh, have I ever mentioned to you that my mom and dad were in their second marriage? Both of them. My dad had died and my stepfather, uh, his wife was institutionalized. And so for both of them, they had a lot of hurt and pain in their past. But they were together for 45 years. And I want to say to you that God can restore his design in you. God can help you see his plan from the Garden of Eden on. And I just want to ask you, you need to fight for intimacy. Whether it's intimacy with God first and foremost, but intimacy with one another, whether you're married or single. But from God's original design, something definitely went wrong. Sin and its effects on sexuality has just been horrible. Sexuality has been distorted. Sexuality has been profoundly distorted by humanity's fall into sin, resulting in broken relationships with God and with each other. Genesis 3.16, we pick this up. To the woman, he said, this is after the fall, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire, and by the way, I think this is a a curse that came upon your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. We need to understand that identity and desires have been distorted in the fall. Consequently, both sexual identity and sexual desire have been affected, resulting in confusion and temptation to sin. Romans 1.24 says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So what do we do if our fallen nature leans us towards thoughts that become sin? Let me assure you of something. Desiring or leaning into alternatives to God's plan is not sin. It's when we step outside of the temptation, the thoughts going in our heads, and then we begin to take action on it. That self-gratification, I've got my rights. Then it becomes sin. To be tempted is not in itself sinful. Sexual sin is the choice to act on temptation in thought, speech, or behavior that falls outside of God's good boundaries. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you. Accept what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so that you can, so that you can endure it. Furthermore, friends, sexual sin results in significant harm to everyone. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul describing to the Corinthians, and, and by the way, this seems to be one of the, we always say all sins are equal, but there does seem to be something unique about sexual sin. Listen to this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Remember that start off? Releasing control. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Oh, and friends, this harm takes many forms, whether objectification, and we see that in Matthew 5, 28, where Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Friends, friends, 
We cannot objectify the opposite sex. We cannot objectify human beings created in God's image. We move away from God's plan and his intent and that beautiful sense of intimacy in human sexuality. Or abuse or exploitation is contrary to the inherent dignity of all God's people. The image bearers of God. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. Both The body, however, listen to this carefully. This is contrary to what society wants to teach you today. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So let me be clear. Sexual sin has distorted God's plan. But good news, God is into resurrection. We need to understand that in the New Testament there is a reaffirmation of God's design. When Jesus uh, was born and lived amongst us and then died on the cross, uh, Jesus became a man. And he became a man to restore our broken world. God became human and lived among us. Jesus perfectly embodied. John 1:14, the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. We need to understand that God's original design is reaffirmed in Jesus' coming. Jesus affirmed the dignity of all people in Luke chapter 7. Jesus spoke against those who would exploit others in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 4. Jesus reaffirmed God's plan for sexual expression within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Let's listen and understand what Matthew 1 is teaching in Matthew 1, 3b. Some Pharisees came to Jesus and the Pharisees asked him this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then Jesus gives him a good answer. Listen carefully. Haven't you read, he applied, replied, that at the beginning, he's reaffirming it, at the beginning the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Remember that sin, there's sins outside the body, there's sins inside the body. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. It's kind of a little bit of picture of the Trinity. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Here comes the Pharisees. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, now this is dealing with the, the sort of ungodly, not his plan of divorce. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. God's original plan. And it can be distorted and twisted. The disciples then said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. 
And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who chose to live like eunuchs. Listen to this. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. I think you can start to see that God has a plan for this uniqueness, man and woman, and this sameness created in his image, and how human sexuality kind of plays into this beautiful, intimate design. But we also need to understand that singleness is an option for connection and fulfillment also. As a celibate single, Jesus also modeled a fulfilled life, complete and pure in his union with the Father and with the Spirit, but also rich in friendship with both men and women. Luke 10, 38, we read, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has let me do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Many has chosen, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This example, friends, reminds us that our primary identity is found in intimate relationship with God and that sex is not necessary for human wholeness. Did you hear that? Jesus showed us this, the Apostle Paul showed us this, that sexual intimacy is not necessary for human wholeness. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. He called it a gift singleness. One has this gift and another is that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, widows I say it is not good for them to stand married as I do. And then he goes on to talk about because of, some of you are going to have to get married because you just can't handle being single. You just can't handle controlling your sexual urges. These days I hear Christians demanding their rights. Rights to self-fulfillment, rights to self-gratification. And Philippians 2, and this is obviously getting to the end. If you were to read the first three verses, or the first two verses, kind of really interesting how it sets up in the previous chapter, but Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, and this is going to shake up our worlds if we really think about it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So when you're objectifying the opposite sex, when you're having pornography and using pornography, when you're having an affair, when you're divorcing your spouse, whatever it might be, and again, there are some reasons for divorce, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Can you imagine the COVID conflict if people would just listen to this? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
in your relationship with one another have the same mindset of Christ who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Has anybody died for somebody yet? Well, it's Remembrance Day. Some have. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How we love to try to elevate ourselves. I believe sin has left such a mark on our soul that we're always trying to make ourselves look good or or rise ourselves up or or take advantage of others. I'm going to finish with just a little bit of honesty. Oh, I'm always honest. You guys know that. COVID-19 has really stressed me out. Let me give you a little example now. We as staff last week on the retreat that we were on, we, we use a, a tool called Grip Berkman. Now, if you were to look at my Grip Berkman, it, it's like a personality thing on steroids. If you were to look at it, you would find that we all have needs. Now, we're all different. Now, you can't see my needs, by the way. You have no idea what my needs are. And everybody's needs are different. But one of my needs is I need time to process. So do you think I've had a lot of time to process things with COVID-19? When on Friday at 5 o'clock, the government makes an announcement that they're changing everything for Grand Prairie? So if you go through the Grip Berkman, you'll discover that we all have stress behavior or stress responses. My stress response is I become, I become belligerent. And, and I start trying to control things like my wife. And on Friday, she didn't park her car in the garage. And I had seen on Thursday morning, I wasn't around here, but we have security cameras and one of them binged that something was happening. And I saw her outside scraping her windows. And you go, well, why would that make you mad? Well, it's because before I left, I cleaned up the garage so she could park in the garage. I was so mad at her. You wouldn't believe the words I said to her. She just kept blinking and looking at me. I was so mad. But why was I mad? Well, partially because COVID has pushed me into that zone. I want to control everything and everybody. Because everything feels out of control to me. But why it really made me mad is because doesn't she know that I worked hard for her and I cleaned that garage up for her? It was all about me. I wasn't flipping to Philippians 2 my marriage and my life. So what did I do now? I recognized because of my relationship with the Holy Spirit that I was in the wrong. Holy Spirit began speaking to me, but I'd already bought her flowers a week before for a similar reaction because I'm in my red zone. So I couldn't buy her flowers, so I did the next best thing. I gave her a big hug, and I whispered in her ear, and I said, I am so sorry. I'm being so selfish. I'm being so self-centered. It's all about me. I cleaned the grad. You better use it. Let me ask you how our cuddling was after that. 
You see, when we are selfless, when we care deeply for each other in the church, our connection goes a lot better. Our intimacy is a lot more pure. There is a design that God has given for human sexuality. And I just want to challenge you, read your Bibles, and if you've wandered, let's say you've been hurt or abused or raped or you've been divorced or you've divorced somebody or God's in the resurrection business and my mom and dad proved it. My little schoolgirl mom talking to dad on the phone. And this is only a quick brush of the text in the Bible. But now when you read the warnings in the scripture against deviant or alternate sexual behavior, maybe it'll start to make sense when you understand what God designed it for. Hopefully these little stories help you understand God's concern of other outside of his plan behaviors. And if you're sitting in the pew and you're feeling uncomfortable again, I say to you, God wants to restore that which Satan has stolen and your bad choices have made. And I have seen it over and over again in marriages and individuals. Just talk to Elmer Spilchin. He heads up our sexual purity and he'll tell you the joy that comes into marriages, into people's lives. Friends, we have a created perfect ideal. Sin has tainted gender and sex Ask God to help you get clarity and victory in your walk with him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, the altar is open for a time just like this. There might be somebody that just needs to come down. Maybe they've just been so wounded in their soul by others taking advantage. Maybe they've been raped. Maybe there's somebody here that's struggling with pornography. Maybe there's somebody here there. Their relationship and their marriage has just turned into this relationship of offense. One offends one and then the other offends the other and pretty soon we can't even see clearly. A couple that once were so deeply in love they hate each other's guts. Oh God, restore to us that which the moth and rust has destroyed. Bring restoration, bring resurrection into our church, into us as individuals. Let us connect to you, John 15. May we plug into the vine. May your presence and your power, your, your, your mercy and your grace just flow powerfully into us. Thank you, Jesus, for your plan. Help us to understand it and to move, <laughs> literally to be who you've created us to be, which is the simplest thing to do. But it's so hard because we want to hang on. We want to control. We don't want to give up. So God, restore us, renew us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please